Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. We're back with another episode of Nobody Told Me That. We're going clinical. I've got Rachel Wall with me from Inspired Hygiene. Hey, Rachel, how are you? Hey, Teresa, doing great. Thank you. I am so happy to have you back on here because sometimes I talk so much about management and office stuff. It's nice to get back into the clinical. Some of the most fun classes I have are when I'm just looking at people talking about teeth up on the screen. I don't have to say anything. <laughs> I know. I'm just watching. So, and I, yeah, you're the same way. I see you sometimes posting, oh, I'm taking CE this time. And so I think we're both CE junkies. So listeners, yeah. uh, Rachel has been on the program before, maybe once or twice. I don't even know how many times. Mm-hmm. Always really good content about periodontal disease, about hygiene, about how to talk to your patients, about how to talk to your hygienist. So hopefully we have many hygienists listening, but I know it's mostly admin. And that's why I'm so glad she comes on because sometimes we need to know what's going on in the world of hygiene. And like she just she just dropped some knowledge on me pregame. So I was asking her about some stuff on uh, pregnant women and fertility. And she was like, actually. And so now I've got some more <laughs> some more research to do. So thanks for the homework there, Rachel. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I have some research to do too. How about that? <laughs> so you have been, you've been busy. You and your team have been busy and you have this, uh, I love it. It's a boot camp, and it's a, it's PPO B. So I was thinking PPO, yes. what? But it's not, it's, it's something totally different. What is your PPOs? <laughs> what does your that. PPO stand for? <laughs> Our PPO B is the Perio Protocol Online Boot Camp. And this is a program that we have offered, gosh, um, I'm going to say going on 10 years, but we update this periodically. We just did the last update in 2020, and um, we're working on a brand new update right now that's going to be launched at the end of January 2023, and um, we're completely redoing it. We've got a new platform. We're doing um, a lot shorter sessions, so these will be in really digestible chunks of 20 minutes or less for each session. And, um, but probably even more content than we have had in the past, but you know, it's kind of nice if you've got a moment, um, if you have a hygienist that has a patient that cancels, say, Hey, I can, I can do a session of this. Um, and it's stuff that they can also apply that same day. So, um, yeah, we're really excited about that. Thanks for letting us share. No, I've got lots of perio questions for you, lots of hygiene questions. So uh, one thing that I have noticed is the whole learning experience thing. So you and I have done webinars for like a gazillion years. We've spoken for a gazillion years. And the meeting planners are all like, hey, can you just do like an hour now or two hours? And online, the webinar, it's like, "Uh, can we do a half hour? Oh, but we have to have CE. So then we go back to the hour. But the learning style really does support like the 20 minutes, the 10, 15 minutes, like short is better. Mm -hmm. Um, How hard is that for you, though, to condense like so much information down into 15 minute segments? Yeah, it's tricky. But but honestly, we're delivering the same content. We're just 
chunking it yeah. down, right? So that you can, so it's like learning snacks. I heard somebody call it one time. I was like, oh, kind of like that. <laughs> so instead of us sitting down for the whole Thanksgiving meal and we got to sit there for like two hours, you know, we get up feeling all weird and, <laughs> Um, you know, we can have a little learning snack and have it be something that we can apply. And the way that we've done it is we've grouped them in a module. Uh, and then the CE credit, you get CE credit for completing that module. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of neat. I, I'm enjoying breaking it up actually like that. I think it's, I think it's good. It's tough in one regard, but as a speaker, it's kind of refreshing to think that, okay, you know what? I can talk about this one very narrow topic. Yeah for 10 or 15 minutes and then I get to take a break and then I can come back and talk about another topic, you know, for another 15 or 20 minutes. But it really does force you to really get to the nitty gritty. What do they need to know? What's really important? Well, the whole, what do they need to know? That's something that offices struggle with all the time. You and I are big fans of calibration, um, which meaning yes. in, in the dental, I guess, dental office context is, you know, Rachel, you know so much about Perio. I know so much about insurance, but do we ever get together and say, hey, this is how this could help you. Here's how my brain could help mm -hmm. you. And yeah. also, how do you do common things? I mean, just as simple as perio charting. How, what do you see yes. when you look at a perio chart versus what I see when I look at a perio chart? So right. calibration is something that is so important. And, and how, how important is it not just between hygienists, but now you got to calibrate associate dentists. Now you got to calibrate team members. I mean, what's, is it, do you have a hierarchy of calibration? Like who needs to be on the same page first? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've had a couple specific examples of that just in the last week. Um, a client that we've been talking with that actually did this program um, this year. She did this program this year uh, with her team. They have five, four or five dentists. Um, they have about seven or eight hygienists. And um, she said, you know, this not only helped us calibrate our hygienists, it helped us calibrate our doctors. And really that's where it starts because they're the clinical leaders within the practice. And, you know, doctors really appreciate when hygienists and even dental assistants um, can kind of tee up treatment for them or pre-educate the patient to what's coming next, what they're seeing, what they're observing. The patient comes in and asks some questions. Maybe they have a concern. And the dentist, I'm sorry, the hygienist or the dental assistant can kind of share the doctor's philosophy. Well, that's really hard to do if you've got four doctors and they don't share the same <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. So, you know, or you have associates that have not yet calibrated with the owner doctors, or you have associates that, and I'm not saying this to throw associates under the bus because this is certainly not every associate, but sometimes they say, well, why am I worried about perio? I just want the patients to do the restorative because if they do perio, it's going to use up all their benefits and then I'm not going to have anything to do. Mm. Well, that's not really serving the patient. So we need to get calibrated not only on our clinical like diagnostics, but what is our clinical goal in this practice? Like what, what are our, what are our um, core values and what are we promising to do here in this practice when our patients come and trust us with their care? So I think the hierarchy needs to be that the, the dentist leader, um, whoever that may be, it could be a clinical director if there's a multi-location group. Um, it could be the owner if it's a, you know, um, a one doctor or a multi-doctor, you know, single practice. But those clinical leaders have to be really clear on what the philosophy is and what they want for the patients. 
And then um, all the doctors have to get calibrated. And then the, it has to trickle down to the clinical team and the business team as well. So it seems to me when I'm when I'm talking to dentists who are in these multi-locations or, or corporates, um, one thing that comes up is the the aggressiveness or not aggressiveness of their colleagues. And in a small office, like the dentist can sort of see, are they going to be like root canals for everyone? Like everyone gets a root canal or everyone gets scaling and replaning. And so you can kind of filter that out when you're bringing on an associate in a small setting, but in a large setting, I think that's a little bit harder to detect. And you don't realize you've got someone that might be right next to each other in operatories who's very conservative with treatment and then on the other side is like, I've got a laser, I've got medications, I've got this, I've got that. You could have two totally different mindsets within one mm-hmm. office. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. been a challenge. I've heard that from multiple hygienists is like, I only like working with this doctor because the other one's a little nutty, you know? <laughs> you hear that often, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or. No, I don't tee up treatment because I don't know which doctor is going to check my patient and they're totally on different pages. I mean, I've heard that over and over too. So they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot, right? Because they're having to go in and kind of start the treatment conversations from scratch because they're not calibrated. So calibration, while it's time invested, it's going to save you time in the long run and it's going to increase your opportunities to take care of patients uh, because your team is going to feel more confident and supportive. So it could be that both of those providers have the the intention to practice with the utmost integrity, mm-hmm. but they may just be seeing things a little bit differently, or maybe one of them is using loops and the other yeah, one's not. Yeah. You know, there's things like that. There may be some technology or tools that they're using or techniques that they're using that's revealing something you know, on a radiograph that the other one's not seeing. Maybe one doctor orders a, you know, a panoramic and they're seeing these, these, um, you know, uh, not asymptomatic is the word I'm looking for, asymptomatic lesions. And the other doctor's not seeing that because they're not ordering those kinds of x-rays and they're, they think everything's fine. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's not only our philosophy, but also how are we gathering this data and how are we defining what a complete exam is? Are we are we basing our diagnosis on the same data? Yeah. So yes, calibration is really, really, really important. So when you talk about calibrating in the office, what would be an example of an office wide known? You know, what is something like a I guess it would be like a, a rule or a guideline or what are you calling it when it comes from the office the top down? What do you call it? Yeah. So it could be something like um, every two years, uh, the patient has to has to complete a whole new medical history and sign it, right? That that could be a point of calibration. Um, another point of calibration could be, you know, um, any patient that's 15 years old or older is going to receive a, a complete periodontal assessment as baseline. Um, and every year thereafter, Interesting. Okay. you know, so those are some examples of standards of care is another way that we use another term that we use for that. But that's something that could be office wide. And some of those things do need to come down from leadership. Um, some of those things involve a lot of risk, like medical history. If we don't have medical history and you'd be surprised at the, the practices that um, we discover when we do a virtual chart audit that, you know, haven't had patients sign or complete a new medical history in, you know, 
five, six, seven years. Now they've done verbal updates, but that doesn't, that's not going to hold up real well. So that's really, really risky. And um, so some of those things need to come down, you know, from high up, but, but then it needs to say, it needs to be presented as, okay, guys, um, this is a really important part for us to protect our patients and to protect our practice and your providers. So we've, we have, you know, come to terms with the fact that we need to set a standard that every two years we're going to have our patients complete a new history and sign Mm -hmm. it. Now let's talk about what's the best way to logistically make that happen. So now the team's involved when, okay, we've got to do this, but now the team's involved with how are we going to do this? What about, so, sorry. Yeah. I was just, I was just going to say that when we do set these standards, these calibration guidelines, it's important to, there are going to be some things that are going to need to come from the clinical leader, but as much as possible, it's helpful to have the team participate in setting these standards because then they buy in and they believe that they had a voice in creating that. And so it's much more likely to stay in place. All right. So what about, how often are we going to be revisiting this? So, I mean, we have new technology all the time. We have new diagnostic technology. Yes, right. So every, I mean, are you revisiting this practice standard of care every two years, every three years or updating as you go or as when they get an email from inspired hygiene that says, Hey, you need to change this. Like when, when does this happen? Right. Yeah. I would say probably once a year, I would evaluate the standards of care unless there's something really, you know, you bring in a laser for periotherapy, mm-hmm. you know? So I would say as, as science changes, um, as you bring new services into the practice, those are the times where you want to really, um, you want to review it every year, but those are times that you're probably going to make some changes to your standards of care. So we talked yeah. about the, the top level, we talked about dentists. How do you get two hygienists to agree on something? I know you can get it to happen, but there's tons of managers that are like, <laughs> yeah, I need to know. <laughs> well, the first step I would say is to find out where is the point of frustration or what has triggered the awareness that we need to develop these standards and there's probably and it it probably it's better if it's something other than the manager the practice administrator just coming and saying okay we need to do this it's great if you can find an instance that illustrates the importance of Mm -hmm. this right so maybe it is a patient hey remember when mr jones came in last week and he told you halfway through the hygiene visit that he had just had a hip replacement you know three months ago. So, you know, maybe it's something like that. Uh, Or, you know, maybe there has been a debate between a couple of the clinicians on whether or not this patient is appropriate for periodontal therapy. Um, Or maybe there was something between the doctors of the hygienist saying, well, this doctor recommends a crown and this doctor is going to recommend a big filling. So if you can think of a situation that illustrates why this is important that's going to be your best bet because then you've got something to kind of ground your your yourself on and then or i want to have this process in place right as an administrator right this is this has to apply to our real life day to day um i i would love to just mention right now to the administrators that are listening that i think it's really important for us to take a step back 
because we may have been working with our hygienist for years and we've kind of got our rhythm down. Then, you know, new, new hygienist comes in and we're like, well, we've been doing this for years. We don't know. And I think it's really important that we, we set that aside because new hygienists might've just learned the newest stuff. They might be up on the newest materials and newest products and a fresh pair of a fresh opinion is all should be always welcome. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. I have this, this class of managers that are, I mean, they're not listening to my podcast, so I can go ahead and talk about them. They're, they're (laughs) dinosaurs out there. They are, they're dinosaurs. They don't want to change very much because it's, it's, you know, it's hard. Change is hard. But when you've been managing hygienists for years, you kind of think, you know, what they know, and we're not clinicians and we Mm. have to really, Mm -hmm. you know, managers just, you know, if she's totally off the deep end, I get that, but she's probably not. She probably does have a little bit of knowledge <laughs> that you don't have. Yep. So let's, let's tap into that and yep. see if we can open that dialogue. And, and I have seen mm-hmm. that really um, come to bear in the last couple of years, Rachel, because a lot of new hygienists are in the market, mm-hmm. you know, That's so true. we've just been seeing, you know, they get younger and younger and dinosaurs like me get older and older. So we're just kind of like, you know, Hey, let me baby this hygienist into the way I want to do things. So, um, how Uh bad are uh we at this, Rachel? How bad are the dinosaurs at this? Well, you're trying to be nice. I know. Go ahead. Rip the bandaid off. I'm just trying to, yeah, I'm trying to think of the way, best way to say it is I would say bringing it, bringing a fresh hygienist in, and saying, this is the way we've always done it. And the hygienist saying, well, we learned in school that we were supposed to update the medical history. Well, none of our patients will do yeah. that. Yeah. You know, or we have all, all of our patients are older and they can't even read the medical history or they don't know what their meds are and it takes forever. So just ask them verbally and write it down. It's fine. You know, or, and, and I will say that it takes a very strong person as a new, a hygienist. I don't care how old they are. Now, maybe if they've got, you know, maybe if you and I went back to hygiene school now, we stepped into a practice with the life experience that we have, we might say, wait a minute, wait wait a minute. (laughs) But with most of the hygienists coming out that are a lot younger than you and I, um, it takes a really strong person and a strong professional to say, time out. Can we talk about this? You know, I know for me, I mean, this was back in the 90s, but still, I just kind of got swept up in the way that things had always happened in the practice. You know, I was working in a small town on an old school mm-hmm. practice and um, you just get swept up and you think, well, this must be how real life is in the real world. So I think we have to be careful um, about putting our, the way that we've always done things on our new team members. And there are certain practice principles that have created your success right within the practice. Uh, and there are certain practice processes that you've proven to be current and you've proven to be effective. However, science in particular is always changing and our practice of dentistry is always changing from a clinical standpoint. Mm-hmm. And your dentists probably are not practicing the same way that they practiced 30 oh, years gosh, ago. I hope not. So why should hygiene be right? Exactly. So in most of the practices that you and I encounter, the dentists have taken like so much continuing ed and continue to take mm-hmm. continuing ed and are bringing new services into the practice, but it's not unusual for hygiene to have been left behind. And, you know, a lot of times that's because as a clinic, clinical leader, you can only, you can't focus on 15 things at one time. 
So the dentist has been focusing on like bringing implants in or utilizing the laser or CIRAC or whatever it might be. And sometimes we have to give them a little tough love and say, hey, doc, like you're practicing here in 2023. Your hygienist is still in, you know, 1999. You know, the equipment is old. The instruments are worn out. It's time. So we can come in with our when we're coaching a lot of times and be an advocate for the hygiene department in that regard and and um, kind of close some loops where maybe there were some gaps in communication that were not even intentional. Sometimes hygienists will come to us and say, uh, yeah, we really need some new instruments. And then we'll go to the doctor and say, guys, like they're really worn out. And they say, we've told them to get whatever they want, but they're, they won't do it. And maybe the practice man, this is another way. Some maybe the practice administrator said, you got to, we got to pause all spending and you just got to use what you have for now. And maybe, maybe the practice administrator just meant that for the next like quarter, but the hygienist took it to mean forever. And now we're three years past that old conversation and they're just struggling through with these old nubs of instruments when, you know, yeah. So sometimes it's, it really all comes down to communication, doesn't it? It is scary. It is scary to talk to somebody who's been in that position for a long time and here you are coming in. I mean, it it's totally scary. I was the same way starting up. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. It was asking questions was scary because the girl I was asking questions, she wasn't very nice. So it was scary, really scary for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as hygiene kind of staying, you know, if you find these offices where the hygiene is in the dark ages, is it because the, the dentist... It, do dentists still pay for a lot of hygiene CE or do they really put that on the hygienist? What do you find out there? Is it changing? I find, yeah, I find that they still do. I find that they still do. Um, And I'm okay with that as long as, and I'm a hygienist, right? So I, I don't, I want to dentists to empower hygienists to be their very best selves. And there's nothing wrong with taking local CE. However, I'm going to say that, you know, going to the same, um, you know, medical history update course every year in your local town taught by the same person, you might want to branch out, you know? Um, so to be the best that we can be, we've got to branch out. We've got to hear ideas that are coming from outside of our immediate environment. So I'm okay with dentists supporting hygienists um, CE. And what I would challenge the dentists and the practice administrators to do is to say, we will support this. And at least X number of these hours need to come from outside of our town, right? You've got to go to a state meeting. You've got to go to a regional or a national meeting and we'll help get you there. But you've got to branch out and get some CE elsewhere besides like our local. Is that component. pretty common that the local component puts on similar courses over and over again? Uh, okay. Yes. And I think that they try. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean, especially if you're in a small town, sometimes it's hard to attract, you know, speakers, different speakers into those kinds yeah. of places. So you do need to branch out. Point. There's tons of online content now, too. Mm-hmm. Right. But I would say, you know, just be real specific with the type of CE that you want your team to take that's going to help them be the best that they can be and that is going to further their growth in dentistry with technology or different sciences or things like that. 
Yeah, that's what I would say about supporting CE. The other thing, I know this is way I know, but we, this is we what we do. This, this is what we do, Rachel. We're just going to riff here. Is This is one of my pet peeves. And I don't know, maybe I'm going to get the smackdown for this, but I do not feel, I think I've told you this before. I do not feel that it is the employer's responsibility to pay for the dental hygienist license renewal. That is your license. It is my license. I am still a licensed dental hygienist in North mm -hmm. Carolina. I have never had a dentist pay for my license, nor have I ever asked that because it is my license. I don't want it. I don't. I don't think that's right. Mm -hmm. I think it should be the hygienist's responsibility to keep up his or her professional license, and they should be responsible for knowing when it's due and paying that renewal rate. And I just think that sometimes it kind of sets a tone of we're too dependent on our employer for our professional independence and livelihood. It, it if that does. Makes it makes sense. total sense. I mean, I, I've, I'm a big, big advocate of getting CE for the managers. But if you want to go get a business degree, if you want to go get an MBA or something, if your doctor wants to help, that's fine. But it shouldn't be tied to your job. And quite honestly, like mine didn't help. I went out and got my graduate degree and it was very helpful, but it definitely helped his practice, but it was something I wanted to do. So I, I get what you're saying. Um, the whole thing with license though, is that, you know, that's your livelihood. And if you lose that for right. goodness sakes, like if I lose my MBA for some reason, I can just order a new one. Yeah. What if somebody forgets to pay the licensing yeah. fee? I mean, I guess they're reimbursing the hygienist for it probably. Here's something it works, that but... it's a pet peeve and we don't have, we definitely don't need to go down this road because I will definitely, you and I will just be like, ah. So <laughs> the whole thing with licenses, to be quite honest, I don't think clinicians understand what happens when the license is gone when the license is in jeopardy, when the license is taken, because right now, like everybody's operating like, Oh, well, I'll just get a warning maybe, or, Oh, they won't ever audit me. It's just a, you know, it's mm. fine. It's fine. You hear this all the time. It's fine. Oh, you're just, you're being dramatic, Teresa. You're, you know, going over the, the top. And uh, you know what? I, I think, <laughs> I think they need to be a little bit more scared. And I, you know, it just I... drives me crazy. If you lose your license, now what? You got kids in school. You got you're saving for college. Yep. You've got, you know, elderly parents you're taking care of. All that goes away if you don't have that one thing. And you've got to reinvent yourself when maybe you weren't prepared to reinvent yourself. Hey, look, you know, everybody says don't have a plan B. Like your plan A has to work out. I'm all for being confident, but you, you need to have a plan need. B. You know, I still have my hygiene license. You know, this inspired hygiene thing, if it doesn't work out, I still have my hygiene license. <laughs> and that gives me some comfort, you know? If really this does. thing doesn't work out. You've been doing this for a long time. Your business is established. You're cracking me up. And the plan B for a hygienist might be, like, take some business, you know, take some practice administrator courses. What if something happens mm -hmm. to our body? That's the thing that is a threat, too, to hygienists is, you know, the wear and tear yeah. on our bodies. is, And that's where additional degrees really do come in handy as far as like a, at least a bachelor's degree if we're going to you know go into some alternative form of practice, practicing hygiene at some point or teaching or sales or something like that which I know a lot of people are very interested in doing that it's good to have just your your alternate plan but yeah you got to take that that license very very seriously you worked hard for that and I would be shocked if I did not know that that people really thought of it that way 
that were nonchalant like that because everybody I know is like, no, I worked hard for this and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to hang on to this license and do everything in my power to keep yeah, it. Yeah, Maybe I'm talking to a different class of people. Cause quite frankly, like I get the questions in my classes of, okay, so if, what if I build this and I'm like, okay, how, like, like I want to say in the back of my mind, cause you know how snarky I can get, like, do you really like your, your license? Cause you know, that's what's going to go. All it takes is a, just a handful of patients to complain. You may not lose it, but do you really want to lose the stomach lining of having to defend yourself? So that's a whole different. See, I was going to go off, Rachel. So we got to pull back. We got to pull back here. Um. Okay. However, <laughs> yeah. however, this is a good segue into our planned content, which is about continuity of care, continuity of care, because, you know, not diagnosing disease whether it's periodontal disease, whether it's periapical disease, what, whether it's caries, whatever it is, right? Not diagnosing those things can be a jeopard, can, can cause a patient or more to make a complaint. If they change and they go to a different dentist and now all of a sudden they have bone loss that's irreversible and, you know, they have a history of diabetes and heart disease and all these other things and and their doctor's like, what? You, they go to a progressive dentist and the dentist's like, no one's ever told you this? No. And I, I've had these bleeding gums for, you know, as long as I can remember and no one's ever mentioned. They just yeah. told me to floss. Continuity of care is really, really important. That's what is achieved when the team is calibrated. So having continuity of care from provider to provider, so the patient having the same level of care regardless the provider that they see within the practice and then also the patient not getting dropped in the middle of care and sometimes that is the patient canceled their appointment but then we do have a responsibility to follow up on I've actually treatment. seen that take a nosedive right now because um because of the the space people either don't have a hygienist or don't have extra room to yes. do that and I have seen heard a lot of managers that are like, I don't even mess with unscheduled treatment plans right now. I can't. And mm -hmm. that's, um, I, I would guess, yeah, there's gotta be some liability involved in that. Right. Or, mm -hmm. or are we okay by saying, well, we sent them a postcard. I mean, it's tough. I mean, that's, that's a hard one. Yeah. So I'm not an attorney. <laughs> I'm just going to say neither. that. So I cannot, I can't like say this with a lot of legal authority. What I will say though, is that I have been in attendance. Some of the CE that I attended was with um, Dr. Mitch Gardner. He is an expert witness, right? For dental malpractice cases. And there was one in particular, it was this particular CE and it was about oral cancer and then referring the patient to an oral surgeon. So the patient was referred to an oral surgeon. They didn't go. The patient came back in like a year or so later, still had the lesion, it was worse, referred them again, and then they followed up with the patient, but then the patient passed away from the oral cancer and the spouse sued the dentist. The referring dentist. Wow. Yes, the spouse sued the referring dentist for not being more aggressive with the follow-up. Actually, the case was dismissed because there were clinical notes that showed that they had followed up with the patient that they had called the patient again to say, have you been to see the oral surgeon? You need to go. You know, the point was we need to follow up on these types of things. Now, can you follow up on every patient that was scheduled three? No, you can't. But I think if there are patients that have, and this is, uh, this is just my philosophy. This is not based on any like legal precedent that I know of, but if you have a patient that has diabetes 
and they have rheumatoid arthritis and they had a heart attack three years ago and they have raging periodontal disease, like we have an obligation to follow up with these patients. If we follow up with them and they say, you know what, I just can't do it right now, or they don't answer your calls, document that. It's super important that we have these standards and guidelines for care. We are calibrated as a team, so we are all making the same treatment recommendations. Where It's all going into the treatment plan, whether the patient says yes to the treatment or not, it is in their treatment plan, and the diagnosis is documented within their clinical chart. And then I would say the last thing is having some type of document that the patient is given that they sign that says, I have been diagnosed with this. I acknowledge this is what the treatment's been that's been recommended. And then it's up to the patient to say yes or no. And if I may reference back to this period protocol online bootcamp, we provide a lot of those tools and sheets. I was going to say that I worked with a doctor who actually anytime that there was something that involved a systemic issue that they were concerned with, like you were just speaking about, um, he would actually send a letter to, of his findings to the medical doctor. And that was just, and he was like, I don't care if they don't reach back out to me. I'm covering my butt with this, you know? So, so there was that. But what you just said was really important. I don't know if a lot of offices do this. So you give the, the refer, you give the referral you impress upon them how important it is. I don't know if I've ever seen it put forth to have them sign an acknowledgement of the seriousness of that. I mean, we have them, of course, acknowledge that they got the treatment plan, but this is a little bit different. This is like, hey, we're serious. Like, this is really life-threatening. Okay, so let me clarify. What I was speaking of was if we're presenting periotherapy Mm -hmm. to them, we give them a we give them the sheet that says I've been diagnosed with an active periodontal okay. infection and this is the treatment that's recommended. Now for the referral, right? We're giving the patient a referral to an oral surgeon, for example. I mean, I don't see why we wouldn't. That's actually a really great point that you bring up. Is like if we're really serious about this, then have the patient document somehow. I received the referral and I will follow up with this with this doctor. I would mm-hmm. say short of that it is the dent, the referring dentist responsibility to follow. That's up. That's interesting. Patient. And I, I love that you um, brought up Mitch Gardner. I, I heard him years ago. He was very good. In fact, out in New Jersey, he's very tan. That's what I remember about him. He's very tan. He very is tan. tan. So yes. um, <laughs> good life, good life there, Mr. Gardner. Maybe he spends the winters in Florida uh, in the summer. Maybe I'll reach out to him and see if he'll come on the podcast. When he's I great. listened to him in class, I was like, oh, man, this is so up my alley because I love all this risk management and malpractice stuff. I'm glad you brought him up. I I definitely am going to reach back out to him um, or reach out to him to see if he'll come on. Yeah, I mean, basically all the acknowledgments, yes, we're telling the patient and we're hoping that it sinks in. But, I mean, really the acknowledgments are because it is becoming litigious. Our society has always been litigious last, you know, since I've been born, everybody's suing everybody, right? It's worse now. So I I think it's a really good idea to have, you know, what you were saying, just present it, have them eyeball it and explain it to them. And just as a, as a quick aside, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this. One thing that I have learned from various people is that you have to remember that there may not be literacy with the patient that you're talking to. So you can Mm. give them this treatment plan and they're really good at hiding that they don't understand it. Yeah. That's why we need to not just visually give them this, but the most communication comes from the conversation and gauging their, yes. their, I guess, reception of the information. So 
one thing yeah. that you, your team, your team's great. Emmy is fantastic at this, the whole conversations with patients. So that's part of mm-hmm. your boot camp Cause that to me, like if the admin can nail that, understand the, the actual clinical situation they're talking about, but nail the conversation, we can be at our strongest in helping to support the hygiene department. Mm-hmm. So you have mm-hmm. lots of, lots of stuff on that. Yes, verbal skills for sure. In there, there's uh, more than one session on communication. Also, how do we talk to patients that maybe we've been seeing for a while and now we have these new standards, mm-hmm. right? It, regardless of what, what it is, if we set these new standards and we say, okay, guys, we're going to be accountable to this, then that applies not just to new patients, it applies to existing patients. So we also have tips on how do we communicate with existing patients that maybe we've been seeing for a while and now. Uh, maybe either something's changed with them clinically or our standards have changed. And now we're recommending therapy to address the active disease. Yes, absolutely. Let me that's ask, included. Before you go on, what, what's the holdup though? Yeah. Like what's the holdup? Say you have somebody that comes in, they've been in for a while. Why is it scary to tell them that technology has changed and that now here's this new diagnostic scan or salivary test or whatever? Why is that scary? Yeah. Well, maybe they're, maybe the technology in the practice hasn't changed, <laughs> right? Maybe they've had this technology, but they just haven't really used it. Or they've used it, but they haven't made a definitive diagnosis for the patient and then told the patient exactly what's happening and then made treatment recommendations. So I think sometimes clinicians, particularly hygienists, because that's who we hear it from the most, are scared that they did something wrong in the past or they failed the patient somewhat in the past and that the patient's going to know that or feel that way and call them on it and and call them on it. And so they're nervous about that. So we give them some instruction. And the other thing too, is sometimes those hygienists know we help them define very clearly what is health versus disease. And then we have them think about their existing patients and what percentage of your existing patients fall into this category of disease. And most of the time they say like 50 to 60%. So they've seen this disease for years, but haven't had the tools or the language or clear standards really for what are we going to do about it. So they're just trying to address it in a profi. There's so many different facets of where the obstacle has been. You know, it could be their schedule. They have nowhere to put it on the schedule. So they just think, well, I'm going to just do the best I can right now and I'll see the patient in three months. And then the cycle is never broken. So a lot of hygienists have some kind of mental, I'm going to say guilt or just uncertainty about their past care. (laughs) He's he's Yes, Griffin Griffin is all in. (laughs) I was trying to think of his name. Griffin's all in. You know, we want to just say, hey, look, when we know better, we do better. But we've got to have a way for them to comfortably explain that to their patient. They can't just say, hey, I learned some new stuff. And, you know, now you actually have disease. You've had it for five years. But, you know, they, they can't say that. But they can say, we now know, you know, we now know that this type of infection is linked to an increased risk for heart attack, stroke, type 2 diabetes. You know, we now know that this active infection and this bleeding may be part of the reason why it's hard for you to manage your diabetes. We now know or we now have these tools that can help us really look at the the destruction that this disease has caused in your bone and better read these x-rays. And we're just seeing this much more clearly now. So we give them some very specific language to use in that There's definitely situation. been some new 
um, diagnostics that come up. Do you see a lot of offices adapting the, the salivary or is there one that's like, is there one that we should keep an eye out for that you think has been very helpful? I think the salivary testing absolutely is important because these pathogens are so active in the rest of the body. And also a lot of these periodontal pathogens are not going to respond to scaling root planning alone. So we need to look at other adjuncts that we have. And when a patient's not responding, we need to find out why. Why are they not responding? What is the level of the infection? And, you know, just like if we had, you know, if we were thinking we had a strep infection, we'd have a strep test, right? I mean, we're afraid that we had a UTI, we'd have a urinary test and it would come back with results that show the doctor what the issue is. So in dentistry, we're still just looking at the destruction, which is the bone loss and all of that, like the past history of this disease. We really need to start looking at what is it like now? How is this presenting and how do we need to really address this disease based on the pathogens that are present? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that we cover and you and I have talked about this a little bit, I think, on the podcast is the AAP staging oh, and grading. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, go ahead. So we now have this revised, I don't want to call it new because it's not new anymore. It's been around for four years now. We have this revised periodontal classification system and the staging tells us what's happened in the past. Like how, how much periodontum have they lost, bone loss, clinical attachment loss. And then the grading is really, how fast is this going to move? Like, how aggressive is this disease based on the patient's risk factors? And how aggressive do we need to be with our treatment? So it's really combining all of these different communication tools, like staging and grading, some of the technologies that we have, like bacterial testing, like some of the adjuncts we have, like PerioProtect, you know, utilizing some of the diagnostics, like scanning that can show us time over time how you know, things are changing. There's just so much more out there than just scaling root planning alone and perio charting. And I really think that within the next five to 10 years, that perio charting, like with the metal probe is going to be pretty passe. I think we're going to have some other ways to, you know, map the bone level and um, really see that attachment in a much more sophisticated and I think that's way. Yeah. A much easier conversation to have with the patient too, when you can show them like, honestly, like the AI, the radiographs with the AI, I was yeah. just, I was talking to a, a group on Friday that if I had AI and the capability to pull this up and show you, you know, this is predicted, my case presentation closure rate would be just unbelievable. I would close every case cause I would have that to back it up. I mean, I think that's only right. going to help. That's it's interesting that you think we're going to be done with the probe because, I mean, I've been hearing that for, I don't know, a long time that we should be down with the probe or whatever. I, I mean, I've just read different articles about that. Yeah. But it feels like technology is speeding yeah, up, sure. right? Like we've got so many quick advances. Well, and recently. what you said is important because what you are looking at is the destruction. I didn't, it's never been put that way to me, but you're absolutely correct. We're not looking at a disease process we're looking at the destruction left behind by it and it's still active in that's many, right. many cases for those of you that's that are right. listening and you're not sure like why would we do salivary testing you know different bacteria reacts to different people it's not that you know mm -hmm. what is it strep mutans or p gingivalis all of these like i know those react in different bodies like it my body would be different yeah. than mm -hmm. your body so that's why it's right. so specific and if you test for that then you can target it with the right antibiotic 
Is that still like that's the the premise of it, or has it expanded even past that? Yeah, it has expanded. So that was the initial premise. I think we all are aware of antibiotic yeah. resistance. And I heard somebody said to me today, the CDC has kind of proclaimed us in this post-antibiotic age where we've got to be a lot more careful with our use of antibiotic. So we as a company have reduced our recommendations of systemic antibiotics. I will say that there are going to be some patients that are so infected, like they need a systemic antibiotics. That's just the fact. But I think the vast majority, we can use other adjunctive services like um, hydrogen peroxide, you know, subgingival therapy, um, laser therapy, chlorine dioxide therapy. Like there are lots of different, alter- there's a lot of different alternative things out there that we can look at. But the bottom line is there are still pathogens and we still want to be able to show the reduction of those pathogens from an overall wellness standpoint. And in the PPOB, I'm doing a session on the digital diagnosis. So I'm going to highlight just some awareness around some of these new products and ways that we can create more consistency and calibration and in our diagnosis and also some tools to share with patients to help them understand their disease process Can we circle back to the AAP just for a second? You had mentioned the staging and grading, and you actually had come on our podcast, on this podcast, our podcast, like the royal we, Rachel. So, (laughs) yeah, me and you, our podcast. You had come on here and and gone over that when it was fresher, and so I'll put a link in the show notes to that because you did a really good job of explaining that. Thank you. But now, would it be accurate to say that the AAP's staging and grading standard of care is? part of your overall office standard of care? Like, is that the standard of care, then the office standard of care? I mean, where does that fit in with Mm. the calibration for your office? So what I would say is we use the AAP standards as the basis of the recommended standard of care. Now, there are going to be some practices. So we had a conversation with the practice a few weeks ago that is a very large practice. And they're very, you know, as most practices are right now, they're, they don't have enough hygiene hours to do all the care that they want or need to do. They are currently doing 2% perio. So hygiene services, 2% of them are perio-related. Just for reference, the benchmark is about 30 to 35%. So their 2% is very, very close to zero. So for them... They want to create a foundational perio protocol. They recognize that their patients, they need to address this with their patient population. But what they're, what we recommended to them is start with, it's like triage, start with tier one and tier one are the patients that have, you know, obvious disease and they have risk factors. They have diabetes, they have heart disease, they have metabolic disorder or whatever it might be. Like start with those patients that have risk factors, they have bleeding sites, perhaps they're a stage two, you know, or greater uh, in the AAP classification. So sometimes you do have to kind of stage your implementation of a perio protocol if you've never had one to begin with. Yeah, because you can't just throw throw it all on everybody. They need to get used to it, right? Yeah, and sometimes you can. I mean, we have some practices that are like, we're all in. We've got the time blocked on our schedule because we've coached them to do that ahead of time and we're ready to go. And then some of them say, you know what, those stage one patients, we're going to give them another chance, like to, you know, get healthy or whatever that is. We're going to give them another alternative. But if they're stage two or stage three, then we're going to recommend treatment. So 
the AAP is the basis for the standard of care, but then every practice gets to make their decision on what level of care fits their philosophy, if that makes sense. And at Inspired Hygiene, like we tell them, because sometimes they're scared, they're like, we're going to come in there and just like throw down the perio hammer and nobody can have one side of bleeding or they're kicked <laughs> out of the practice. It's like, we don't operate like that because just a we wouldn't be in business very long and you don't want to scare away every patient that you have right like you've got to take it within context and also preserve the relationships that they've built in the practice and we believe that if we're come along if we come alongside the patient in the diagnostic process in a thoughtful way it will not only preserve it will build relationships because the patients will see wow they're really taking care of me so all of that's to say you can develop a perio program that it's always, if you're at 2% perio, anything is going to be a step out of your comfort zone, right? You just have to accept sure. that it's going to take some time to get comfortable and get your verbal skills down and all that. But it doesn't have to be such a departure from your philosophy that it feels wrong. Right. Yeah. Cause then you're just going to do it for a little while. And then when nobody's noticing, you're going to go right back That's to, right. to what you're doing. So. Right. We no, don't want that. No. And it happens all the time just because, you know, leaders, doctors, managers are just, they've got other things to do. So, okay. Right. Just to let you know, um, Dr. Sh uh, Schweinbraten with the AAP, she's the, um, I think, clinical director there. I remember listening to her give a speech to, it was an insurance meeting. It was to the carriers. And she was saying that 2023 is when they expect this to become like a defensible standard of care. So mm. that's just so you know, I'm gonna well, use that. I don't know if she's printed it, I publish it, whatever. I'm sure I could, I'm I'll sure I could message it. her and see if she'll be more concrete on it. But I remember her saying, and this was back in 2020, actually 20 when it was introduced, like 2019, 2020, it was introduced when 2017, something like that. 2017 is when the world workshop yeah. happened and then it was introduced in 2018. Okay. So, yeah. and I remember hearing that like back then, I want to say 2019, 20, whatever. I remember her saying that and thinking, oh gosh, that's so far away. Like, how are we going to, we need to start implementing this now. So, you know, that's why you and I were talking yeah. about it a lot sooner than that. And now it's, gosh, it's right around the corner. So that means that if if it does become accepted as standard of care everywhere, not only are insurance carriers going to start changing their documentation, which is why I'm so big about, you know, let's include mm -hmm. it into the clinical mm -hmm. templates. But to your point with the malpractice and Mitch Gardner lecturing, like that's going to become part of the legal conversation as well. So yeah, you got to get on top of this for sure. Well, it's interesting because that, it, it's almost like to me, it's they're saying, okay, by 2023, everybody should know about this. So where you can't say, hey, I didn't yeah. know that this was a new standard of care. You know, it's out there. Speakers are teaching it. You're mentioning it. I mean, if Teresa Duncan's teaching it, everybody oh, should know about it. it. Because you hit a lot of you hit a well, lot of and people. it's funny though because I'll say in classes, if you're just now learning about staging and grading, your hygienist hasn't said boo about it there's a problem. I'm very stern now. I used to be like, well, maybe you should get together with your hygienist and talk, but it's too long now. Like it should be conversation. It should be settled. It should be in place by now in my very humble yeah. administrative opinion. And what I was going to say is they're going to put all this stuff in place because they're going to all sign up 
for the boot camp, and you've got it structured differently than most curriculum. So tell me about it, because if a listener is hearing this like in March, April, whatever down the road, they might go to the page that I have in the show notes, and it might say something different. So can you explain what mm-hmm. what we're mm-hmm. doing, yeah. what we're doing, what you're doing? So what <laughs> we're doing is, you know, in the past, we create these programs And all of our coaching clients get this. It's one of the very first things that they do before their coach shows up in the office because it's important. Anytime you're implementing change, you got to give your team time to wrap their brain around the change, to adopt the change. And it's great if it happens slowly rather than like all at once one day, right? So we believe that's true with our coaching clients is they go through this webinar series, the whole team goes through this before the coach ever shows up so that when the coach arrives, they have already had a chance to think about what this change means to them. They've already had a chance to use the verbal skills to kind of talk about it as a team and they can hit the ground running and see results very quickly, you know, once the coach is there. We also allow other, you know, practices that, I mean, I think everybody should hire us as a coach, but, you know, we couldn't serve everyone. So there are amazing, lots of amazing hygiene coaches out there that can help folks develop this within their practice. But sometimes you just want something to kind of jumpstart where you are, you know, with your hygiene department, kind of plant the seed that, hey guys, like we need to, we need to start doing the staging and grading and we need some support with that. So we do cover that. Um, And we cover a very simplified approach to staging and grading because it can get very complicated and we don't want that. So some teams want to have a do a do it yourself approach. Some want to dip their toe in the water and check out inspired hygiene. Some want to have an internal, a tool to have an internal kind of study club for a few months within their team. Or we had one client that said, you know what, we went through the the Perio bootcamp and every quarter we had a meeting and we decided what are we implementing next? And we really got together and we got calibrated and we pushed things forward. So you can use this in a lot of different ways. Some folks have a really great consultant, but they maybe they are not clinical. And so they want to work with their consultant to help them utilize this tool to implement these clinical pieces, you know, to elevate the hygiene department. So there's a lot of ways to use this. We've developed it in the past and we've just kind of had it, you know, on our store or whatever on the website. It's interesting how sometimes people need a little push to make a decision to do something that's in their best interest. So we're doing something a little different this year. We're launching it in January, end of January, 2023. It's going to be able to available for purchase for about a week. Then we're going to close the cart. We'll still have the website up that I'll share with you in just a minute. And then we'll launch it a couple more times in 2023. And it also allows us to give some focus support to those practices that made the commitment during that period of time. You know, so it allows us to do some webinars, Q&A webinars, support webinars, so that practices that have purchased the PPOB and are involved and are doing it can get support from Inspired Hygiene. Whereas if it's just open all the time and it's an online program, it's hard for us to give that support all the time when there may not be a practice going through it at that point, if you know what I'm saying. It just allows us to concentrate the support while it's fresh for those practices, while they purchased it, while they're going through it, and be sure that they have all of their questions answered. So it is a on demand, the practice will purchase it and they will have access to the recordings forever. It is an on demand pre-recorded education program. It is going to give um, a minimum of CE, six AGD CE credits. It's purchased for the practice. 
So we would just love everybody. If you have any interest, there's no obligation to purchase, but just go to periobootcamp.com and you'll see a little bit about it and just put in your name and email address there. We'll let you know when it's ready. We'll update you on that. And everyone that's on that list is going to get some special bonuses and ordeals with the Perio Bootcamp. And so, yeah, we would just love all your listeners to at very least just join the interest page, you know, learn about more about it when it's available. And you'll see more if you follow us, you'll see more about it uh, after the holidays. And then the other thing I wanted to give everybody is the opportunity to download a free standard of care worksheet. So if you go to inspiredhygiene.com slash standard of care, and I know Teresa will post the link here, you can download that at no cost. And that might just help you facilitate some conversations. You know, maybe you create a standard of care worksheet that's completely different, but this might give you something that you don't have to do that from scratch. That's great. Thank you so much. Our listeners, you should Absolutely. definitely take advantage of any of these free forums because if there's anything I know about managers, we love our forums and we love to see other people's yes. forums. Like you show me your form, I'll yes. show you my form. That's that's what we do at these meetings. I love it. So definitely sign up though, because yeah, you want to hear what, you know, when it goes live and you want to be a part of it. And I know that anybody who I've sent through your training or to your webinars is never, I've never heard a bad word. I've always heard just, oh my God, that was amazing. You. So, and you've done just Thank such you. good things with a lot of people that I know. So I am looking forward Thank to you. this. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm hoping that it's a success and you'll be doing this a lot more than couple times a year <laughs> unless I you want to take do. a vacation I sometime so i don't know if that's on the agenda oh yes i do take <laughs> yeah absolutely all righty listeners that was rachel wall i will put all of the links in the show notes including the episode that we did where we went over staging and grading so if you have a hygienist or you're out of a hygienist i mean who knows? Maybe you just need to listen to your, the hygienist in your ear. That would be Rachel Wall. She'll go yes. over all of that for you. you Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. You are always welcome. You know that, right? My pleasure. Thank you. I got a bunch of other ideas as we were talking that we could talk about. So one of the best things about getting to know different people is when you click with someone that you like to brainstorm with, it's really just so much fun. And Rachel is definitely one of those people. So all right, dear listeners, thank you so much for spending your time with me. I do appreciate each moment. Thank you. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.